Hey folks, Tim here. I just wanted to preface this episode by acknowledging that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So with that in mind, this episode is going to be covering sexual assault with Dr. Lisa Smith. And I guess it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that this is going to need a trigger warning. And yeah, it's one of my not as funny episodes because this is such a sensitive topic as someone who is a sexual assault survivor. This was a very difficult interview to hold and listening back to it, it really... Oh boy, it brought back a lot of feelings. So the editing process was, Jesus, like a mission and a half. But if you have the emotional capacity, the stomach to listen to the statistics, the stories that we cover, please do. I just want you to take some time for yourself should it get too heavy because it is such a difficult topic to talk about, but it is also a very important topic that, it, you know, we, we need to have this conversation. So yeah, like, I don't know what else to say other than thank you so much for your continued support. If you make it through this episode, I also am very thankful and I hope that if you or you know someone is going through their own sexual assault experiences and trauma, there is help. There are resources. I will include some of those resources in the show notes and in the description. So I wish you love, light, and lots and lots of orgasms. <laughs> Anyways, without further ado, let's start the show. The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> everyone and welcome to another episode of the sex ed with tim podcast it is me your host tim certified sex educator here with dr lisa smith hey dr lisa how are you doing hi how are you thank you so very much for having me on today to talk about such a sensitive topic it is very sensitive uh so in case anybody missed the beginning it, there is a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about sexual assault both children, adults. So if this is a triggering topic for you and you're not very comfortable, I'll see you next week on the next episode. But for now, if you've got the stomach and the emotional capacity to listen to this conversation, feel free to stay around. We'd really appreciate it. So before we begin, Dr. Lisa, could you please introduce yourself to our guests? 
Absolutely. My name is Dr. Lisa Smith, and I help parents teach their teens and children about quick ways to deter sex offending. Um, I provide resources. I run a sex crime reporting site. In addition, I am a professor, a hypnotherapy, and have worked with people suffering from abuse for over 20 years. Now, why this specific area like, did you choose to concentrate your practice on? Because there, uh, the, the statistics don't lie. One in four girls, one in six boys. There's four girls in my family, and three have been sexually assaulted. And so it's personal for me. Um, and I kind of stumbled into it because when I was getting my master's, I was working with um, welfare-to-work mothers who were going back to work, and they were going to school as well. And they had lots of um, trauma. And so even though that wasn't my specialty at the time, I was helping people manage their trauma. And so I had to learn. I had to learn because I did not – I wanted to make – sure that they had a safe space, but also that so that they could work through their trauma with me. Because, because of course, trauma is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And um, I wanted them to learn to be healthier because some people get stuck. That's right. That's right. Now, on the topic of sexual assault, I... The first thing that comes to mind is rape and like forced intercourse. But I know that sexual assault is more than just that. There's other ways that uh, that it can present itself. Um, what are some of the other ways that sexual assault happens? Well, people like to put it in sexual assault. You know, um, since 2013, the crime reporting did not include, only included rape, right? So we have molestation, which is groping and inappropriate touch. We have, which is also a crime, a felony. We have various ways in which you can touch and use digital penetration with a finger or an object. You have just sex offense, showing children porn or teens porn who are underage, you have, and all of these are covered under the Department of Justice. And uh, like I said, since 2013, we started looking at not just rape, but sexual violence, right? Because you have sex offenders. Most people think they're old men, older white male in their 20s to third, well, not 20s, but 30s to 40s. And that's that's just not the case. We have juvenile sex offenders, right? that represent 40% of the cases. And so there are a whole host of things that, voyeurism and looking at children as they dress and undress, never touching. You also have those that show their private parts to children or teens. Like flashing? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All of these fall under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. Now you dropped the word digital, and when you said digital you, and you clarified finger, I was like, okay, because uh, initially I thought what you meant by digital as in like through our phones or the laptop, can that also like constitute? Online. 
Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, in the gaming world, you know, there are a lot of kids who play Roblox, which is, you know, they are targeted online. I'm not saying specifically that they're targeted in Roblox, but many sex offenders and sex predators use these social media sites and software to get access to children these apps and things like that. So online is also an issue because the offender wishes to move the relationship from online to offline. So they may schedule visits. They may ask to meet up in certain places that the child may feel safe. Um, But the most important thing that we need to know is that these people are familiar to a child. And most of the the ninety three percent of those cases that we're, we see are familiar acquaintances or family members. Is are those like the most common perpetrators of sexual assault? Is just someone that is it? It just can't be a stranger. It's just someone that you've previously known prior to the assault. Ninety percent of our cases are known to the child. Ninety five percent, if you're African American. Oh my gosh. Why? Yes. Every nine minutes, CPS clarifies that a child has been sexually assaulted. So in the nine minutes we talk here, they'll they'll identify a new case with evidence. And so it's it's a serious problem that many people don't talk about, especially because many people don't want to talk about sex with their children and teens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. I just wanted to like recap that. So you said one in four girls... One in six boys, ninety three percent. What was it? Sorry, ninety three percent. Ninety three percent know their offender. Offenders and ninety five percent if you're an African American. Absolutely. Now, why is this so high? This seems almost like an epidemic. Like, what's going on here? Why do people in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two right like they they don't know how boundaries and consent works that's just so baffling to me i think it's just because i'm a sex educator you're also within the sex education sphere it's just weird to me why why is it happening so much we usually have books on body boundaries right we teach kids and children and teens this is your body you have consent over the body you get to say who gets to touch it who doesn't most parents the reason why it's so high is that most parents have not prepared their children for different scenarios. So in my in my books, because I write children's books on sexual assault, right? And I also have academic books because, like I said, I'm a professor of psychology and human services. And I write books for parents as well and for my students to introduce the topic, to make it something that's easier to talk about. But in each case... In in my books, especially the blaming and shaming of defenseless victims in America's rape culture, each person that I spoke to was sexually assaulted under the age of 12. Oh, my God. Under, oh my under the God. age of 12. And so usually Ugh. between the ages of zero and eight on the, on the website Child Help, a child will be approached more than once. And oftentimes it may be another child. Oh, right? my God. One of the cases that I had, because I, I love to tell stories, is I had a 12-year-old 
in one of the programs, because I also work with at-risk youth, and I was running a program out of Perrine, Florida, and I had a 12-year-old who had sexual assault history, sexual violence, rape, and he told me clearly he targeted kids, usually children under seven, boys under seven. That was his target. Now, mind you, he's 12, right? We're talking prepubescent, right? Maybe he's coming to puberty. Adorable, cutest face mm-hmm. predator of the neighborhood. He said, oh, mothers, no. And when, and when he's caught, he was like, you, he tells them all the time, you know who I am. You know what I do. Why would you leave your kid around me? Right? right? And so grooming is a big deal, right? Because kids can be groomed by other little kids. I mean, my beautiful niece, she's 10 now, but at the age of four, she tells us about a child in her class who threatened threatened her if she wouldn't allow him to touch her with violence, physical violence. She was four. Luckily, she had a great relationship with her mother and a great relationship with her father and was, would tell this story. And see, that's the thing. Secret keeping is what keeps sex offenders in business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a secret. Yeah. When my cousin was first sexually assaulted, it was for candy. It's for now later. What? And here's the thing. Many sex offenders don't often pay up after they get what they want. Oh, my God. So they might be promised a trip to Chuck E. Cheese, or they might be promised a piece of candy, or they might be promised a new game or a, a gift card to Roblox. Or, again, this is a disclaimer. I'm not saying this is happening on Roblox. I'm saying these are gifts that can be given to a child for consent. Yeah. At least give me some money if you're going to do it. It's a big deal when we talk about grooming. (laughs) And very often the family is groomed, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So the priest that comes to your house usually brings a gift at Christmas time. Right. And Thanksgiving and Christmas time are coming fast. Yeah. And this is generally when we see family visiting, you know, cousins can visit older cousins come into your room at night, right? And grope, molest, penetrate, right? But I want to ask you, who talked to you about sex? Other little kids? Older kids? Nobody. Honestly, Dr. Lisa, nobody taught me about sex. Uh, Like, in in a comprehensive way. I learned sex through really porn, uh, and the mm-hmm. only kind of sex I was taught in school was abstinence only. And like the puberty video I remember watching was like a cartoon. It wasn't even like, you know, realistic looking people. Like you couldn't even show real bodies at the time. So right. it, it, it's so hard for me when I was younger to vocalize what was going on with my body or what uh, or how to report something that when someone did something to my body. So do you think that like naming parts would be like a very helpful way, at least for kids, you know, to to arm themselves? Absolutely. So when you name the body parts, then the child has information um, to say, okay, someone touched me here. But if you're not having a conversation with them about inappropriate touch, then then some children 
think it's natural. I had a I have a case right now where um, a woman, well, she was sexually assaulted by her stepfather. And because her mother had experienced sexual assault by her family members, they thought it was a it was normal. So that was her first sexual experience. It started at eight and it continued up until she was the age of 15 because the stepdad lived in her house. She, she reported it, but here's the thing. Most people don't believe that it's happening. They don't believe that that adult would do something like that. It might be a family member who provides money to the household and they generally don't want that person to be arrested or to get a, a criminal record. Um, most of the time children won't report because it's somebody who's in the family, somebody they love, a brother, a cousin, an uncle, a father, and they don't want to get them in trouble. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, like, the most publicly known kind of figure would be like, oh, we could have never believed Dr. Huxtable to be capable of something like that. And then, damn, you see it all over the news, and it's like, how could that have happened? He because was one like, in four and one in six, and yeah. nobody um, is preparing children because they are the target. And that's why I believe it is so important for us to have these conversations because young children under the age of 18 are being sexually victimized and they're not telling anybody why are we so easy to place blame on victims because we have what we call blame the victim right so if it's a mother who wasn't there to protect her child or a father who wasn't there to, that's a denial and one of my books i talk about what we call this theory it's denial inaction, information, suppression. So look at it. You can look at it with the victim. You can see it apply to the victim. You can see it apply to the, to the parents. You can see it apply to even first responders. One of the women in my book was sexually assaulted by her boss, right? In her thirties. When she goes to the hospital, the hospital refuses to give her a rape kit because they don't believe that it wasn't consensual. So we even have first responders who won't report. We have law enforcement that won't report. We have over 200,000 sexual assault kits that have never been tested in law enforcement in this country. There were 300,000. And if you've ever watched, what is it? SUV, um, sexual, law and Order sexual, SVU. Law yeah. and Order, right. Yeah. Um, it was Maritza, I think her name is, who, dis, who, who got a foundation together to get these rape kids tested. Many of them are 30 years old. So we have, we have actual evidence that says this person was sexually assaulted, but law enforcement and prosecutors decide whether the money is necessary to go test that, right? And put it into Codex, which is a FBI um, data collection where we can identify other cases of rape and sexual assault. And so here's the thing. If it's not important at the grassroots level, it's not going to be important at the federal level. It's not going to be important at the statewide level because reporting does not happen if they experience this theory. Denial, parents deny, 
Victims even deny it. They repress the information, put it out of their awareness, conscious awareness, and then they're triggered later on in life because they just couldn't handle it. Remember, when we use repression, it is a survival mechanism. And even then, self-blame sets in. I should have known better. I shouldn't have been around this person. I knew that they might harm me. And that's the reason why they may not be able to get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. I relate to that so much. Yeah, it does. It, it, It does put into some clarity as to what was going on when I first got raped by my first boyfriend. I was like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Oh, How you. old were you? I was 18 years old. Oh, uh, my goodness. And he was my first boyfriend, and that was my first... Sexual uh, well, not my, That was the first person I've ever had sex with. It wasn't my first sexual experience. Like, we had consensual sex before, and then, okay. like, it was just one drunken night, and I was like... I, I had this internal monologue of, like, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I shouldn't have been there. I should have known better. I should have, you know, watched yes. out for myself. And it's like, shame, yeah, guilt, right? Yes, exactly. So I'm thinking, are do are those kinds of like monologues and thoughts just like a way for us to bury such a traumatic experience? Like you said, it, it is a survival mechanism, right? I love the way you use those words. It is buried, right? And that's a form of denial. We're going. We're not going to because for us to acknowledge it means that it happened and we must have done something wrong, right? To put ourselves in that position. So first we look at victims, self-blame and shame that prevents them. Because let me ask you honestly, would you have reported your boyfriend at the time? I would not have because I thought I loved him, you know, or like, that's what I was feeling at the time. I was deeply loved. You loved him. Do you know there are a large number of people whose first sexual experience was violent and it was someone they loved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have reported them, which is Mm -hmm. the reason why reporting is so low. Five out of, well, five out of a thousand will be prosecuted because people won't report. And and I'm going to be honest with you. I completely understand why you wouldn't have reported your boyfriend because you loved him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And we want to see the good in people who we are in relationships with. Right. Unfortunately, they don't tell you, you know, people disappoint us all the time. It doesn't matter whether they're loved ones or friends or coworkers. People disappoint us all the time, but they don't give us the tools of how we address that trauma and how it affects our mental health. Mm-hmm. And so let uh, me ask you another question. I know you're interviewing yeah. me, but I have no, no that's question. No, it's fine. It's fine. I like it. I like it. How did that affect your future relationships? Immediate, almost immediately after uh, the rape happened, I dropped out of college and then went on to pursue a career as a sex worker. And I did that for four years, and that's kind of how I was processing it. And it was later through therapy where I discovered that the only reason I was in sex work 
was because I was trying to find my sense of self-worth as a person through mm-hmm. sex, as in like the the, the monologue goes something like, um, if I am a sexually pleasing person, then that means I'm a good person because people still find me attractive. Mm-hmm. People still want to have sex with me. And that was kind of like my subconscious trying to heal from from the sexual Protection. assault yeah exactly Protection. so well, uh, well, well let's be clear that's not sexual assault that is straight on um, rape right yeah right? rape <laughs> right? it's sexually violent but it's still rape exactly let's, let's call it what it is <clears throat> it was right that was we fully we raped. don't want to put any more painting over it we want to expose it open up and deal with it right exactly yeah so uh and after work is a big deal it's exactly after rape yeah because i thought that i was like worthless and i i just felt like like now what you know somebody took advantage of my body so i i kind of was like trying to find this sort of way to get hold of that memory and reshape it and uh, just like heal from it in a way that i could control the narrative for myself and i thought the sex work was the only way to do that and the way that affected my relationships was that I was unable to be intimate with other men because I thought that they would harm me the way I was raped. So all I did was just have meaningless like sex, one night stands. I was like, don't touch me. I don't want to go on a date. Ew, gross. Just like, uh, just shut your mouth and, and fuck me. Like <laughs> that, was, that was it. You know? Right, because it would make you more vulnerable yeah. if you had feelings for them and you were afraid that it would put you back in that same vulnerable position. Exactly. And that's what we don't talk about. And mm-hmm. since we don't allow, society does not allow us to talk about the sexual violence that children and teens experience. That's why it's so much more difficult to talk about adults who experience sexual violence because basically we said we're going to wipe that slate, pretend that it doesn't happen, ignore it completely, and then you have all of these people picking up the broken pieces as adults Mm -hmm. trying to find love out of these horrific, intimate, sexual, inappropriate experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or is that like the that's most common why your podcast thing? is so valuable oh thank you dr lisa i'm trying my best i'm really trying my best to help people like laugh through the pain and just encourage everyone to go to therapy and uh you know and, and just know that there is life after rape or assault and it's not the end it's you're not a worthless person uh, it's taking me years to learn that, and it's still an ongoing process of unlearning worthlessness because of that huge incident. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. Hey, you sick motherfuckers! I've got a special treat for you. Need a new toy to spice up your sex life? Head over to loveshop.ca/sexedmonton and get yourself a cock ring, a dildo, a vibrator, or even a life-sized sex doll. <laughs> Damn, I guess love really does come in all shapes and sizes. 
Get 15% off your entire order when you use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout. They're shipping to all of Canada and the United States because North America is horny. That's loveshop.ca slash sexedwithtim and use code sexedwithtim for 15% off your entire purchase. Happy orgasm! Do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy? Of course you do. Only my listeners are sexy as fuck. I have partnered with fetishwear designer Dale Kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps, harnesses, hats, and more. Head over to dalekuda.com, that's D-A-L-E-K-U-D-A.com, and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me. 25% off. And cherry on top. Free shipping, oh my god. (laughs) I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me. And girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there. And I'm on the train. I'm just like, uh, 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 thank you, Dale. That's dalecuda.com with the code SEXEDWITHTIM for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping. With a deal like that, I swear I could come buckets, honey. The show is about to begin. Yes. So I'm, I'm also wondering then, Dr. Lisa, what are some of the ways that trauma presents itself in the body, whether it's like a oh, child or oh, an adult? Because... Trauma presented itself in my body through being shut off emotionally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, almost to the point where, like, I couldn't have the sex that I wanted, where I wanted to be the receptive partner. So, mm-hmm. because, like, I felt like, oh, this is going to happen. Time to shut my body down. Uh, like that. Right. So, you, 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 first of all, this is a great question. One, because sexual violence is sensory, we are devoid, we dissociate. Right. When we no longer have control and power over our own body, we dissociate. And so basically that means as a survival mechanism, you leave, you go numb, you might freeze. Right. And a lot of people think fight or flight. Not everybody fights. In fact, more people freeze because one, they're in complete and total shock that it's happening. And then they dissociate, meaning that they shut down emotions so that that experience can end quickly. They had no feeling of it. And so that allows them to survive the aftermath, right? So being numb, feeling numbness, feeling numbness when you have these other sexual experiences is that that disconnect that happened during the time of that violation, if you, if you, if you will. Other signs are anxiety, panic. And so we don't often know the triggers. And I tell people all the time, they are sensory. It might've been the perfume of cologne the offender was wearing. It might've been the food you just had at the, at the, during the date that then led to the sexual victimization. It might've been the music that was playing in the background. You hear that song again and it takes you right back there. And so you find yourself being triggered and it doesn't matter where your body starts to uh, fight again or shut down. 
right? And so you may become extremely depressed. You may feel extreme self-worth, self-selflessness, right? That you don't have a sense of self and that there's nothing you can do to be successful or to um, have goals or to have triumphs because this trauma has helped. That is basically, it's like a, a stick in the ground that is holding you hostage to that point, that date, that time, that moment. And you will not progress because you are stuck in this emotive space, almost like a a whirlpool circle in the drain, if, if you will, right? You're stuck in that trauma and you don't know how to find your way out. And since, and so things that I like to do is reconnect the body. Like some people, their anxiety is in a certain part of their body. So it might be in the bottom of their back and they have this recurring pain. Some people, it might be in their knees, right? Depending on what was happening during the attack, um, that assault, um, it may be um, representative of what position you were in, were you restrained in any way, were you bound in any way. I mean, when we talk about sexual trauma or we talk about the loss of power and the loss of control of your own body, it manifests itself in so many ways. Even the position, if you went into the fetal position, every time you go revisit or every time you find yourself hurt and vulnerable, you go right back to that same fetal position. And then those trauma memories start coming back because they're all sensory memories. Yeah. Yeah. For me, my main trigger was seeing a specific brand of beer because that was what he drank during the rape. And it took me so long to finally get the courage to like go into bars and look at that beer and not get triggered by it. They have a great therapy called exposure therapy that helps you slowly come back to yourself. And um, there's a lot of people who won't, who, who, who don't often discuss what we would call the revisiting or what we would call a soul retrieval. This sounds oddly familiar with something I did where I hired a sex worker to help me reenact the rape actually. Uh, we reenacted the rape, but I was in control of the situation. So it helped me. It helped me reform the narrative that it wasn't my fault, and that I'm actually in control of of whatever's going on here now. And I don't know. Do you find something like that helpful, where you kind of go oh, back absolutely. into the situation? It's one of the premises we use with hypnotherapy. A lot of people don't understand your subconscious does not give you all this information because it is protecting you. So what's housed in your subconscious is not in your awareness. You don't know it's there. Most of the people who sit down and come to my offices and talk to me about what they think is it is. It's never what it is, right? So we have to get access to the subconscious. Sometimes I'll see a hand tap or a feet, a foot just moving back and forth, just in a, a guided meditation. And then I'll say, okay, so if I gave your foot a voice, what would we find there? Because usually when we repress, we're repressing it somewhere in our body. It might be at the elbow, Okay. One of my cases, her father repeatedly abused her and he often abused her when he took her to the park. So 
she burnt her arm and that brought back all of these memories and emotions that it was her father who was doing these things. She hurt, she, she would use that same arm on the monkey bars to play. And that's where the information was housed. So our body helps us house the information, but you have to find someone who's well established in subconsciousness Therapies dealing with the subconscious is what we call psychoanalytics, analytic theory, psychodynamic theory, who can access or help you access that. You could do that with free association. You could do that with meditation, mindfulness exercises. You could do that with breathing, right? But your body is protecting you, okay? And in that repression, it's somewhere in your body. But as soon as you give it permission, it will all come flooding back to you. That's true. And, and those emotions will reestablish yourself. Now, the reason why you need to reenact it, it's what we call ego stating. You have to go. It's, it's, it's just like going back to where you lost your sense of self-identity and your voice. Right? Because that trauma snatches that from you. You have to go back to where you lost it to put it back. Because the scenario in your head replays it as a victim. But if we empower you in that space, help you look at the trauma outside of yourself, you can use the words that you might have wanted to use in that trauma mm. that you couldn't use. You, we give you back that voice. Mm -hmm. And that helps the healing. Right. I remember the moment in therapy where I... I, as a 28-year-old, went back to my 18-year-old self and told him that this is not your fault, that you are loved and you are worthy of of intimacy and consensual sex, and you're so much more capable of all these you things. You had a great because, therapist. They knew yeah. exactly what to do. Yeah. Uh, he is exactly a big... Yeah, he's a big fan of uh, using internal family systems where we like oh, yes. look at the parts that make us who we are and see which are in uh, disharmony or needs regulation. And then we saw that the the unhealed 18-year-old Tim was causing 28-year-old Tim to be anxious all the time, to have uh, temper tantrums and be yes. easily like, you yes. know pissed oh, off yes. yeah mm -hmm. and Angry. i never i never like drew that like because somebody bumped my shoulder on the train and i would like you know automatically clench my fist i Absolutely. never really connected that to clench fist is a great sign yeah. of, of trauma yeah it's like it's just an automatic response thing. and i just like yeah so uh i mean right, you know right, every right. now and and you yeah. know why that happens? Because we feel as if we weren't able to protect ourselves in that moment. So yeah. the way your therapist was able to go back to the trauma allowed you to tell your the 28-year-old self to tell the 18-year-old, I'm always here and I will protect you to the mm -hmm. end. This yeah. is not going to be like what we saw at 18. I am here. I'm your protector. I will make sure that you are safe. Yeah, I, I never, I never thought of it that way. Like that's that's so beautiful that we actually have the power to do that for ourselves, and it's all in us. That's so. Like, but that, didn't they tell us we are God? 
in our own body. And we have this creative agency that allows us to heal ourselves. Right. So, um, I mean, usually you need assistance, but if just imagine if we could teach everyone how to do this, how powerful we would be as humans and how kind and more loving we would be and empathetic and compassionate. I agree. But also I want the listeners to understand that this is not like an overnight thing. Uh, it didn't just happen one time in therapy. It was just like constant like weekly visits for me and on antidepressants. And it was a lot of work to get to a point where I could comfortably look back at that memory and say, I am not that sad, pathetic little victim. I am I'm strong. You know, I Well here's the thing, you were never pathetic. That's right? that was the the monologue I had at that time. Right, you know? right. But it's great that you use that word because those words are also triggering, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and the most important piece, like I said, children need scenarios so they know I'm not going to keep this secret when a child approaches me, when an a, a, a older cousin approaches me, when a teacher approaches me, a coach approaches me. I am always going to tell my parents this secret. Mm-hmm. I am also going to tell the sex offender, I don't keep secrets from my parents. If you touch me, God forbid, if you touch me, I am going to make sure everybody knows (laughs) as soon as I'm not around you because that sex offender will leave that child there and move on. (laughs) Oh no. This is where you want your child to be the big mouth. Yeah. And most of the time children will tell their little friends first. Yeah. They don't often tell the parents. And parents are not going to be there. I'm sorry to say, but you are never around. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, when you're older and this happens, because at 18, you know, there's a lot of college students who are victimized between what we call the red zone. Oh, yeah. August to November. Freshman mm. in college. Mm-hmm. Were you in college at the time? I was, and I was in my second semester, so around January or February. Yeah. That's th- most freshmen are victimized in their very first year. Yeah. That is a true stat. That is a long standing stat. And oftentimes it's associated with the various parties, the drinking, right? Mm-hmm. That allows non consent. And um, just, just not predators, but offenders taking advantage mm-hmm. of vulnerable, um, naive, I hate to use that word, but they, they don't know. They haven't had many experiences being in certain types of environments. So Mm -hmm. they're looking like a a offender is looking for someone who's not knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Is that like the main motivation for an offender? Like what are exactly like, What's what's going on in, in their the mind? mind of, yeah, in the mind of an offender, are they looking for opportunities where they can exert control? It's not just control. It's about I have someone that I can get sex from easily, and there's not much that I have to do to get it right. And so I have the power and the control, and I get to dictate the setting in which it happens. And I'm the one in this power dynamic who is more 
authoritative. And so as long as I can find someone who's easy prey, and I I say this because they're going to look for someone who is, in their eyes, less knowledgeable, has few experiences, or is not really, uh, or is curious, um, adventurous at the risk-taking, but is not really cautious about the environment that they're in and how they can potentially become victimized. And the reason why they would rather select a freshman, because this is the first time that this person is allowed to have these experiences outside the family unit, right? And so this control, a a, a offender will look for their ability to control the environment, right? So usually they'll withdraw you or isolate you from people who can help you. And they'll take you into spaces where you're, it's just you and them. And they get to decide where you're going to go, what's going to happen, what you're going to drink, how you're going to be exposed to these opportunities for them to steal your consent. But they're not going to look for someone who's going to be problematic. They're going to look for someone who doesn't know. And a lot of times, no, no, no means no, but that's not what we teach, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the shows that we watch, most of the films we watch, no, 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 no. And then the sex proceeds, Mm -hmm. right? right? So um, they might give you the excuse, well, I didn't know that your no was really a no, right? I thought you were just playing hard to get or coy or whatever. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. So they use that as an excuse and even law enforcement will use it as an excuse not to report. Yeah. I don't want to mess up this person's life if you were unable to give consent. But now the law states that if you are in, if you're drunk or using drugs or under the influence of substances, that's not consent and it's still a felony. Yeah. God, like people, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that. You know, when someone's under the influence, don't take control of them, <laughs> please. Yeah, but, like, but just think about it. People want to have sex. They want to have yeah. sex. They want to be stimulated. They want to have this experience. And there are a lot of people out there that don't care mm-hmm. the circumstances. Yeah. Which right? Is, and oftentimes, when you find victim people who victimize, they're often products of mm. sexual violence. So perpetrators so are the product. Replaying. They're sometimes replaying their own experience. Okay. So is that like, because I always thought that was a bit of a misconception that perpetrators are, are like the product of their own trauma and like that happened to them. They were the victim in the past. Now they're the perpetrator in the present. Is that true? Right. And so each one has a choice, right? Okay. So, so for example, one one of one of the cases that I had, and one person in my book, at five years old, he was victimized by his cousin. His cousin played a game with him. She was eleven years old, all under twelve now, and it was molestation, groping, bringing him to the point of orgasm, right? But he didn't really know what it was. He's five. Grandma goes outside um, to go shopping. They're at home together. They play this game. So he is eight and then he grows to 12 and he's simulating these exact same games he used to play with his cousin. This is not 
unlikely. This happens very often to victimized children. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, victimized children will look for the same prototype of the offender or predator. So their boyfriends or girlfriends become the, they might have the exact same hair. They might have the exact same facial um, structure. They might have the same build as their offender. And it's not uncommon for girls who were sexually assaulted and young ages to find husbands who look very similar to their offenders. Oh my gosh. That's, that's great. That's a kink that we should be worrying about now. <laughs> my goodness. That, that, I mean, but like I said, if we can't have the conversation, if we can't teach children scenarios, if we can't, if there, there aren't any teen books that tell young girls, another targeted group that these scenarios are out there and we should be preparing them for when they're not in our homes, when they're not with their parents, because I guarantee you parents will not be around. And that teen girl goes out with her friends and maybe she goes roller skating or maybe she goes to a teen party and, you know, somehow, some way, Drinks end up in the, you know, liquor ends up in the fruit Surprise. bowl. I mean, the fruit punch, <laughs> yeah. right? Or she goes to a friend's house who, it's a sleepover, but she's having a party, a party not sanctioned by her parents. And she meets some guy there who happens to be from the next town over or is visiting a friend and doesn't live in the state. I mean, there's so many scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Why is it and always... children and teens need preparation. They do. Uh, like, I'm also just like wondering why is it always majority men that are the perpetrators? Like, do they just have so this weird sense of entitlement over people that uh, you know that, that they're owed sex? Well, here's the thing: the patriarchy that has existed, where males are more dominant, right? We have full cultures that. Uh, countries that don't respect people who are less powerful, right? Right? There's always... And so when we talk about the intersection of these groups, there's gender, right? Male... We live in a male-dominated society. That's not fake. That's truth, right? And up until 20 years ago, sexual harassment and sexual assault and sexual violence was not reported, Right. And it often was carnal sex with someone who was a stranger. They had no laws that respected the fact that you could potentially be sexually assaulted by an acquaintance or a friend or a family member. Right. So those weren't valued um, cr crimes. Right. Now we have this extensive list. Right. And so we have, many of us have. Um, assigned authority to males in our family and males in our lives because that's the structure of our society. Right. What are some of the red flags that uh, we should be on the lookout for? Or or can anybody be an offender? Here's 
the the truth of that. Yes, I say yes. Anybody can be a offender because we do not have a modus operandi that says if you're this 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 and this, this is most likely a sex offender. We do not have anything like that because a sex offender could be a a eight year old who's taking advantage of a five year old. A sex offender could be a twelve year old who's being taken advantage of by an eighteen year old. A sex offender could be a 30 year old who's taking advantage, a sugar baby or sugar mama. Hell, you know, this concept who's taking advantage of a 18 year old or a 60 year old who's taking care, taking care of an elder uh, family member or a someone in a facility, a nursing facility who is younger, but taking advantage of someone who's comatose. We, we know of women who have ended up pregnant, but they were in a coma. Someone was having sex with them. Someone was visiting them, right? So yes, a sex offender can be anybody because we do not have guidelines because every time we get a case, someone throws that guideline out the window. But again, it's about power and control. How much power do I have over an innocent, right? Like a child. Uh, How much access do I have to them? How dependent are they on me? How much isolation and withdrawal can I get? How much time do I spend with them alone, away from other people? How can I get more time to spend alone and away from them, right? And how can I get sex even if I don't think this person is going to say, is going to grant me consent. Mm, mm. Right? Instant gratification that they want. It's gratification. It's sexual <sighs> gratification. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, because right. at the end, there's orgasm. Many people don't understand the power that people chase the pleasure of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so sex offending and sex predation is about that's sexual release. Yeah. Listen, I love an orgasm as much as the next person, but I'm never going to like, you. right? It's, it's an amazing fucking thing. Absolutely. The good Lord himself said, I'm going to give y'all an orgasm. You've had it really hard these couple centuries. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I'm never going to like, you know, chase after an orgasm for the, uh, at the expense of another person's well being. That just seems a little. But see, Tim, that's you and I. We we weren't raised and we weren't raised to harm. And but there are a lot of people who, you know, hurt people, hurt others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so um, that's one thing we need to make clear. Kindness. That child might have been kind. That teen might have been kind. But we continue to leave them in um, environments that cause abuse physical, verbal, emotional, sexual. And then we send them out and say, build the world you want to, you want. Just before we wrap things up, I, and you, you segued into my next question, actually, and building the world that we want. What can kids, parents, and just we as a society as a whole, what can we do to help reduce the number of these kinds of assaults? And like, you know, hopefully live in a world where there's an absolute zero amount of sexual assault. Right. We want to eradicate it. Right. So the first thing we can do is believe the child, the teen, the adult victim. That means the mother, the father, the friend, the family members. If they come to you 
the first time you say, I believe you. What can I do to help you? I am so sorry that this happened. Let's start there. The next is report it. Even if it is somebody you love deeply, if that child or that teen or that adult is coming to you, if you're in HR, if you're uh, working on a college campus, believe them and report it immediately. There are mandatory reporters, teachers, coaches, anybody who is in contact with young children are mandatory reporters, nurses, doctors, ER, first responders, firemen, police. Now, many don't go to law enforcement. If they are, if you are in law enforcement and you're listening to my words, report it, write it up and investigate it, demand the investigation, right? Don't think that this is not going to happen. We have more undetected offenders than we have those that are known. Okay. And then get them treatment immediately, immediately so they can start to deal with the trauma. In a beautiful world, this doesn't happen. But we know the world is not beautiful. No. Right? We know there are many people who want to, who rather break it than share it. Right? We know there are loads of people who burn this MF down because they've been hurt and harmed. And so... We need a grassroots effort that is structured so that everybody knows what to do from the age of three, four, five. They know the scenarios. They get access to resources. Parents are having open dialogues and discussions. We are having these discussions at work. We are having these discussions at bars where everybody knows what the protocol is. Get law enforcement, get a report, get it investigated, do a rape kit, even if it's groping. Consequences are so vitally important. You want undetected sex offenders? Say nothing. Yeah. Those are very, like, difficult conversations. I'm wondering if you have any tips as to how to initiate uh, very hard conversations like that. So to initiate it is... You know, have we have sexual assault month, right? Which is in April. But if you are someone who has been harmed, find someone you trust to tell your story to. The the darkness needs light and you need to release it. If you have not told your story, find a trusted friend. Hell, send me an Instagram that says, Smith, I want you to blast this out. I want to tell this story today. Give me your narrative. I'll put it on my IG. I will put it on my Facebook. I have no problems telling your story so that other people will understand and won't be harmed. But find someone, and more importantly, get treatment. Don't go 30 years. Yeah, don't. Please don't. Not like me. (laughs) Oh, no. You'd be surprised those dominoes fall and how it significantly affected your life and caused you harm because you didn't get the help. The opportunities you probably turned down. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Just so many things could have happened had it been 
resolved at a much earlier stage rather than way into your adulthood. The ability to love is also yeah. affected by that. Yeah. Or to have wonderful sexual experiences with someone you love. Oh, yes. Sexual uh, identity is threatened and will remain threatened if you don't get the help and the healing. Yeah. So once you find someone to help tell your story and once the healing process begins, then great sex can start as well. Share and, teach. <laughs> Share and teach so that your story does not become someone else's reality. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I was about to ask you, do you have any like final words of wisdom? I think that was it. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was really Share nice. It. Yeah, we you share and teach. Know. Yes, exactly. So that they are armed and they will not be harmed Oh, yes. Preach it to the choir. Preach it to the back of the room, Dr. Lisa. Uh, this has been such an amazing conversation. And thank you so much for you so sharing much. your time. And I was wondering, Dr. Lisa, do you have anything uh, to plug, any resources for our listeners to go to? Absolutely. So um, my website, Right to Consent. You have the right to consent. Right, R-I-G-H-T, to consent.com. You can find my children's books there. They're for five to nine-year-olds. You can find um, my adult books for parents. Um, you can go to my IG account at Right to Consent. You can go to my Facebook at Right to Consent on my Twitter at Right to Consent. You have the right to consent and I have tips resources about grooming, anything you need to know, especially adult victims. DM me. If you have, if you want referrals to great therapies, YouTube has a lot of um, guided imagery and meditation that can help you start yeah. your journey back to yeah. your true sense of self. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been spectacularly important. <laughs> it's been such a splendid time with you. And to all the listeners, please know that if you are undergoing sexual assault or you know someone that's been sexually assaulted, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. This is also my open invite to all of you that my inbox is open, Tim Lagman at sexedwithtim.com. I will redirect you to some very helpful and important resources as well. And I wish you nothing but the best. And don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so that you can stay up to date with uh, everything that it is that we're talking about here on the show uh, because we just want great sex. <laughs> we want <Absolutely>. consensual, <laughs> amazing, great sex. We want all Absolutely. the orgasms, right? <laughs> Dr. Absolutely. Lisa. <laughs> Absolutely. Explosive. Uh, explosive. I love it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast, and I will see you all at the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. Sex Ed with Tim is created and produced by me, Tim Lagman. Music is Aces High by Kevin McLeod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GaySlutClown and at Sex Ed with Tim. You can also like and follow me on the Sex Ed with Tim Facebook page. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah!